was thinking that uh, Gloria, Gla- Gloria Gaynor and Lady Gaga have nothing on that little <laughs> queer tune there. Uh, please be seated. Let us pray. God, may your Holy Spirit be present with us in these moments so that in these words to come we may hear a bit of your word and take a bit of grace with us in the week ahead. All of this we pray in your name. Amen. So if you haven't noticed, we're in the midst of a series of readings from the book of Genesis. It starts now and we'll carry on over the next uh, couple months. Genesis, fascinating book. Again, it's a book that's got great mythology. It's a book that has uh, great epic stories of wandering and uh, unifications, the stories of births of new nations, Uh, the great short story of Joseph that's tucked in there. There's some things in Genesis that we find confusing. um, And Genesis also has a bit of pathos to it. Genesis has a way of touching in the human condition that continues to speak as time goes on, over 2,000 years. You can read through some of these stories and you're like, yes, I see those feelings, I see that humanity, I see that experience reflected today in my life. And I think that's what makes Genesis so powerful. We certainly see that in our text for this morning. Now, we're in the midst of this great Pride weekend. For those of you who are celebrating Pride, there's lots of great parties to go to. There's a fantastic parade last night. I was able to check out some of the floats. And again, very colorful, um, full of all sorts of great expressions, self-expression and music. But... We would be remiss on this weekend if we didn't also lift up uh, some of the struggles, some of the harder parts uh, of that LGBT experience. In our passage for today, Sarah looks out and she sees her son Isaac playing with Ishmael, the son of Hagar. And as she looks at that, something moves in her very, very deeply something that she just plain can't stand. It touches the nerve, and it rubs that nerve again and again, and she goes to her husband, Abraham, and she says, Abraham, you have to cast them out into the wilderness. With no support, no future, no nothing, I don't care, I just want them gone. And unfortunately, this is an experience that is shared by so many people in the LGBT community people who have experienced rejection in a major way, uh, as in something as extreme as being kicked out of the house and cut off from your family, or rejection in smaller ways, subtle things that build up over time. And this rejection is not just limited to LGBT folks. In our passage for today, one thing that we see, again, in, in the ancient world, in the time of Abraham, Uh, It wasn't uncommon for a wealthy man like Abraham to have many wives and to have children by those wives. Here we see Sarah being particularly bothered by this particular, uh, particularly bothered by this child, in part because she's an Egyptian. We see that coming up several different times, that it's Hagar, and then intentionally out of the description, the Egyptian. There seems to be some sort of ethnic and racial element to this as well. She sees this Egyptian child playing with her child, and it just drives her nuts. Even now, 
We see people who get disturbed uh, or bothered or reject folks who say, marry outside your race or marry outside your ethnicity. This still to this day bothers people. It's been 50 years since the Loving v. Virginia decision that struck down the interracial marriage decisions in the U.S., and yet you still have people rejecting their children who marry someone of a different race. Now, I'm from Boston. Uh, In Boston, these divisions were not necessarily racial, but they were certainly religious. In Boston, for many generations, there was a huge division between the Protestants and the Catholics. If you married someone who was of that different religion, your family was likely to cut you off, not talk to you. And it is remarkable how long these things can persist. My own father, when my sister was dating someone in college who was a Roman Catholic, my own father, not to my sister, but to me, expressed just how much this bothered him, how much it angered him that she would date seriously someone who was Roman Catholic. This is the 21st century. And part of the question is, where does this stuff come from? This is something I've been trying to wrestle with this past week. It's not a simple thing. I mean, you could say, uh, say Sarah's jealous of, uh, of Hagar or jealous of Ishmael. You can say that Sarah uh, maybe feels shame over the fact that this is here. But I don't think that gets at it, too. I think it's something deeper. When, when someone, when a parent rejects a son or daughter who's LGBT... It's not just, oh, well, I'm worried what the, what the neighbors might think. It's something deeper. It's something existential. It gets in your bones, and it just sits there. You know, when you see some people have certain types of racial hatred, it's just there. I remember someone in this congregation uh, telling me, um, I wish I could remember the exact details of it, but it stuck in my head that they knew someone who was in the hospital and, and asked the nurse to make sure that a blood transfusion was not from someone who was African-American. And again, this wasn't, this wasn't a member of this church, but someone that they knew. And again, there's that sense of that, that type of that type of hatred is just gets in the bones and it's, it's, it, it, it creates a theological problem. Why would God create human beings with the capacity for such deep-seated rejection of others, even their own offspring? How is that possible? Why does God do that? A few verses later, we see, this, we, we see Abraham's perspective. And the really touching thing about Abraham, that the, the text in Hebrew says that the word, that is to say Sarah's word to Abraham, the word was very evil in his sight. Abraham was deeply disturbed about being asked to cast his own son and this woman that he, uh, this woman he cared about and kicked them out. But he, he went along with it anyway. This is one thing you see oftentimes in these situations within families. Generally, it's one parent that has a bigger issue with things than another parent. And yet, the, parents just, the parent who has less of a big issue goes along with it. I know, but I can see, I mean, there's this passage, here's Abraham literally like taking like an extra $100 bills and sneaking it in the kid's hand as the door shuts behind him. Good luck. See you later. And then we see Hagar out in the wilderness. At that moment of just of existential loss, of not being able to put another foot forward, of not knowing what the next step is. She's in such a moment of despair and such a moment of saying we can't go on that she doesn't want to see uh, Ishmael die, and so she puts Ishmael out of the way. I mean, again, the pathos of this passage, you read it through, and if you're a parent, you can just imagine 
being at that point and just saying, I just can't bear the sight of seeing my own child die. And so she puts Ishmael at that point and she sits there and weeps and prays to God. And that's, the, that's what rejection can do to people. It, when, you, when you get rejected by your parents, you get rejected by people you love, it can just, it, 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 it can distort things. It can distort reality. If you've never been in that place, rationality doesn't always line up. I remember when I was a chaplain uh, at Harvard, one of the students, uh, this guy Clayton, came from rural North Carolina, and Clayton, his freshman year, uh, came out of the closet, and his parents said to him, you're no longer our son, we never want to see you again. And quite literally, they, they stopped paying for his education, um, they, and they quite literally said, and they stopped communicating with him, they didn't answer his phone calls or emails, they said, you are no longer our son. And Clayton put on a very good face about this. But I remember having more uh, personal discussions with him. And as he was explaining as things were going on, I mean, here was someone who was making some very bad choices about his personal and sexual health uh, in the midst of this. But he was just in a place where things just didn't add up. There wasn't, I mean, it was just too, he couldn't deal on a certain deep level. From the mid-1980s onward, um, we knew what caused the HIV virus. It's a sexually transmitted disease. And yet people continued to contract this disease. And so those people would, so some people would be like, oh gosh, you know, why don't you just you know, use a condom? Why don't you use, I don't get it, you people are bringing this on yourself, all these other things. And my response back is, have you ever been in that place? Have you ever been that rejected for who you are? Have you ever been there? Do you know what it's like? Do you know how dark that can be? Do you know how lonely that can be? Do you know how much you could hate yourself for it? Your mind, the, the rationality does not click normally in those situations. And yet people could be just, have such an incredible lack of compassion. Now, there's a good side to this story though. Because Ishmael and Hagar don't die. They're able to find water. They're able to find sustenance in the wilderness. My favorite term uh, for people in the LGBT community is family. This is part of this, uh, the, the gay code, the old gay code. So uh, back in the day, there was certain code, coded language that gay people could use with one another. The other person knows what they're talking about, but if someone were listening to the conversation, they wouldn't necessarily pick up on it. And one of those terms is family, which still persists to this day, and I still, I still get a kick out of it. So someone will ask, uh, oh, is, is she family or is he family? Meaning, is that person gay? <laughs> and it, 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 it reveals sort of a deeper truth about things, that for so many people who face rejection, uh, who face the kind of rejection that Hagar and Ishmael did, for people who face that kind of rejection, they, they're able to find a new family, new support, and the friends that they found within the LGBT community and also allies. Over the, over the years, I've counseled a lot of people as they've come out of the closet and wrestling with what this means. Uh, many, many people. And I always give them, there's always one piece of advice I will give regardless of the circumstances. I always say the same thing. And that is make sure you find gay friends. Create a community of gay friends, people who understand your experience, who can understand, you know, yeah, your 
<laughs> the ups and downs of relationships, who could understand rejection from parents, who could understand all these different things, like find friends. Nothing is more important for your health, for being able to find that water in the desert than finding a community of friends who can be like family to you. That's, in my mind, the key thing. The post-colonial writer, uh, Homi Baba, wrote a book in the early 90s called The Location of Culture. What Baba argued in that book was that culture, new cultural expressions, grow out of liminal places. They grow out of places on the margins. They grow out of places where cultures collide. That's where new cultures, new cultural expressions arise. A well-established culture rarely comes up with new things. But it's those, those places that you don't think about those places on the edges where new things arise. And indeed, you see this in the LGBT community. In the 1970s especially, you see a new culture arising, especially in New York and San Francisco. A culture that has its own, uh, its own language, uh, its own mannerisms, its own expressions, its own artistic uh, productions in both music and the visual arts. You see a brand new culture, something that, and something that affects the wider culture. Again, disco is something that originally grew up in the bars in Greenwich Village. Uh, it was, a, it was a, originally something that grew out of the gay community and then ended up spreading out and, 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 uh, and influencing all of broader society. You can see that in other ways, too, how gay culture, this marginalized group, this marginalized culture, has affected, in my mind, in positive ways, a lot of the rest of the culture. You can see the same thing in an African-American culture. You, you know, where, where does African-American culture come from? It's this African heritage then colliding with the slave experience and the experience of Jim Crow that gives rise to a whole new cultural expression that's transformed the cultural milieu of the United States. And yes, there's a lot of diversity within the LGBT culture, but there's still sort of a cultural center that we can talk about. And that culture can be really life-affirming. It grows out of this rejection experience and the discovering of family with other people. Now, the greatest threat to the LGBT community today is not those people that you saw out on the parade side with those signs uh, saying whatever it was, homosexual sin, I think was one of them, or, you know, whatever, you're all going to hell, or the people with the bullhorn sitting there on the side and they're sort of cordoned off. Those people, I couldn't care less about them. They've already lost the war. <laughs> they're fighting a losing battle, and they're not going to win that one. The challenge for the LGBT community is the divisions that exist within the community. This year in Philadelphia, uh, the Pride organization that was organizing the Pride in Philadelphia decided to add two new stripes uh, to the Pride flag, a black stripe and a brown stripe, representing the cultural diversity of the community. And you should have seen the reaction on social media <laughs> to this addition. Uh, and for some people it said, well, this is why we need to do this because there's all this, all this reaction. Other people, oh, this is misguided. This is going in the wrong direction and all these other things. But it's the, I sort of chuckled somewhat about this, but it revealed the underlying tensions, racial tensions that are very much there in the LGBT community. Uh, and it can be really harsh in the LGBT community over racial differences. Uh, there's divisions between people who are gay and people who are transgender, uh, or between sort of men and women in the gay community. And if there's anything that threatens 
the community, as more acceptance comes in, can the community still care for one another? Can they still be that family? And I think that the answer to this is actually going back to this story we see in Genesis 21. We find intersectionality, as it's called. We're able to see our connections with people that are different than us uh, because of some sort of empathy and shared experience. And so that's why I ask you, if you've experienced any kind of rejection for who you are, maybe you were a really dorky kid and you liked reading books and you weren't one of the cool ones. Maybe you weren't the best athlete in the world and you had to sit on the sidelines and were the last one picked at recess. Maybe you were someone who you, went to, you, you go to a cocktail party and you feel like you just plain don't belong and you sit on the edge of it. Maybe you're someone who was rejected by your parents for who you married. Maybe you were someone who has felt rejection for your race or your ethnicity or your sexual orientation or your gender identity. If you had that experience, I hope you can see the commonalities with others who share that experience. That's one way that you can be a great ally to the LGBT community. Being able to see your own experience and, see the, and then try and get a sense of understanding another's experience. And that brings us into a place of compassion and working together. Pride weekend is about showing who you are and showing your colors. It's about being proud of who you are. But it's also a community expression. It's also a way to come together and celebrate the community, celebrate the culture of the LGBT community, and celebrate our support for one another. And so if there's one thing that I want us to take with ourselves this week is can we see that intersectionality? Can we see that community aspect of pride? Because there's someone out there, right now it happens to be the transgender community in Texas, there's someone out there that needs that water in the wilderness. And if they're going to find it, They need all of us to step up and be family to them.